What's going on, y'all? So this is just... <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> this is just going to be a little bonus episode because I'm going to read this little post I put out. Um, I might come out with an episode later today or tomorrow, so be on the lookout for that. But this is on uh, uh, com forward slash website. Um, I'll probably put the link in the uh, description here, but if I don't, just for liberation no caps no spaces dot w i x s i t e dot com forward slash website and it is under the <clears throat> post titled comments and questions about organizing and building a revolution within the US empire so going into this i kind of like i wrote this just now and there's some, oh, I just went back and reread it. There's some fucking grammatical and spelling errors. Um, but I'm just going to like talk over them and fill them in naturally as I'm like speaking. Um, I, I ultimately wrote this because I think that one thing that I'm dealing with and that a lot of others within the U.S. empire really are dealing with is like, especially if we have revolutionary politics, it's really difficult to find ways to actually, you know, struggle to actually uh, participate within the movement, um, especially for those of us who, you know, maybe have a full time job or are students, you know, um, or have difficulties with family or are suffering because of the pandemic. There's all these reasons, I think, that um, have existed historically or are maybe uh, new and different in our current time period. Uh, that make it really, uh, you know, eh, difficult, to put it simply, to get organized. And obviously, I think that um, we can understand why those difficulties are there. I mean, I think it's quite obvious to most as to why the, you know, ruling class of a certain country might not be too keen on the workers and exploited people within that country becoming, you know, aware and uh, really, you know, understood in how, why, and uh, who is oppressing them and also how to liberate themselves. So, um, you know, it's quite obvious to many as to why it might be difficult for people to organize just about anywhere that they try to organize. But... Within the U.S. Empire, we seem to, you know, come up against, uh, like, a lot of liberalism, uh, a lot of uh, what we might call, like, uh, you could, there's a lot of ways you could put it, you know, some people might call it petty bourgeois, some people might call it uh, <clears throat> upper class, middle class, this just kind of, like, gentrifier mentality of, you know, folks in the U.S. who really don't necessarily care that this shit is going wrong, depending on how bad it is for them and how bad it is in, like, a given time period. Because, like, we all really care about things like climate change, police brutality, etc., when it's on the TV or, like, when someone that we know was, like, affected by it. But when it comes to, like, really maintaining that energy, that fervor, 
that want to, you know, defeat and destroy the systems that exist and perpetuate this oppression, it's very difficult to get that shit to stick uh, in a majority of people's minds here in the U.S., Um, at least by, you know, even plainly my own experience just trying to talk with people. I, um, unfortunately at the time have far less organizing experience than I would like to, uh, have, but, you know, that's something that I'm working on daily, uh, and that folks should be too. Um, but that's ultimately really why I wrote this because like, as someone who works a full-time job, Sorry, I'm pouring myself a cup of tea here. Um, if I, uh, you know, if, if we work these full-time jobs or we have these uh, complications that uh, get in the way of us, you know, joining a revolutionary party, developing uh, any kind of organization in our community, etc. And so trying to think through some of these difficult questions of, you know, strategy, tactics, what kind of uh, things that you want to do. Of course, it's very difficult when you are not connected to a mass organization. And so that is something that we need to remedy. You know, one of the best ways to solve that problem is by joining a revolutionary organization. It seems like a self-defeating question. You know, I have difficulty joining an organization. What should I do to solve that? Oh, join an organization. But really, If you, I think personally, and, and, you know, due to my own experience, if you spend enough time really looking in to groups that exist in your area, I'm sure that with enough, you know, research, you will be able to find a group that is in need of your help. And I don't mean just necessarily like, um, you know, yours specifically, but in need of helping hands. And if you are more intent on, you know, I think, at least in many cases, if you're more intent on joining an organization that is purely to your liking, rather than one that is doing the, you know, hard and difficult work of getting people organized, it it doesn't always necessarily uh, pose itself as a a fair... um, fair move, I think. I think ultimately in a lot of cases, um, we have to find ways to break into what exists now and develop it into, uh, you know, something better. That's, you know, more of a, uh, not to use this term, uh, kind of in a pandering way, but like, that's kind of like the dialectical, approach, right? is like you try to get an analysis and understanding of what is out there, what exists. And um, really, and again, excuse this, it, <laughs> it just sounds funny. I'm squeezing a lemon into my tea water right now. But um, if, uh, if we want to, you know, engage in this struggle, then the conscious approach would be to, again, take stock of what exists and find a way to engage with or stand against and ultimately oppose and struggle against what is out there, 
and really, like, in a lot of cases, kind of take hold of what already exists so as to really sink it from within. Uh, This is something that Lenin talks about in his left-wing communism, uh, as well as other things like what is to be done, where, uh, you know, he ultimately shows that Uh, Okay, is it far more revolutionary to say that, um, you know, for example, something that I've talked about on here, unions are not capable of leading through the revolution in and of themselves and saying that, okay, we need different organizations, we need more revolutionary organizations to you know, really be able to solve the problems that we're facing, most definitely. But in the period of time which we are in, we have to do that as well as also trying to take hold of what already exists, thereby saying, for example, we need communists in labor unions. We need communists joining community gardens. We need communists joining mutual aid networks. We need communists joining self-defense groups. And we need communists in local government, in uh, positions of power. We need communists in places where people can see them, where people can hear them, where people can uh, learn from them. And, you know, this is where... uh, I have two, I have a Mao and I have uh, a Lenin on my shoulder. Uh, And I guess really not even a Mao and a Lenin. I have like, you know, a Comrade Joma or JMP or, you know, um, (laughs) trying to think of some other folks. Or, a, you know, a Fred Hampton, a George and Jonathan Jackson and a Sada Shakur uh, on my one shoulder. And then on the other, I got like a, a Lenin, a Mao, a Stalin, etc. And um, I say this because, you know, this is really where I come to, to a, a contradiction even in my own mind, which is, can we engage you know, in a long-term struggle for organizing in a period where so many people expect to die tomorrow. Like, how do we, how do we expect to tell people, like, well, we got to build the party. You know, we got to get people going. We got to get the propaganda out there. We got to be, you know, knocking on doors and having these meetings and shit. You know what I'm saying? And, like, a lot of folks find some of that shit to be I don't want to say corny but ultimately stereotypical and oftentimes they find it to be an avoidance strategy by those of us who proclaim to be revolutionary yet don't do anything revolutionary Um, in a lot of cases there's this necessity to call out what we might consider armchair philosophers or revolutionaries in word, but not deed. Um, So I wrote this ultimately because I'm dealing with some of those questions in my mind. 
And so because I get more views on the podcast than I do on my blog, y'all are going to have a bonus episode where I read this to you. So again, uh, a few things starting from the top. Um, I am not an expert. Again, I'm as organized as I can be, but it's not like I'm your run-of-the-mill militant. I'm not a Fred Hampton, Lenin, Stalin type yet. I'm on my way. But uh, the second thing is I uh, I read. I, you know, try to engage in uh, what organizing I can. And I try to also engage in what discussion I can have in order to try to learn about things. So this is a culmination of some of the conversations and thoughts that I've had because of that. Uh, but I'm not, you know, an academic. I am not uh, to be held to my word. I am a person with some thoughts and I wrote them down on this blog. So now that I've gotten that out of the way, let's go ahead and read it again. It's titled Comments and Questions About Organizing and Building a Revolution Within the U.S. Empire. Um, so it starts... I believe that it is clear that one of the most difficult places for revolutionary politics and a long-term mass movement is the U.S. empire, along with the rest of the West in Canada and in Europe. There are some obvious reasons as to why that is, one being the effects of capitalist imperialist accumulation for those who live their lives within the imperial core which are multiplying each day. This labor aristocracy mentality or petty bourgeois upper class feelings of entitlement that seems to be prevalent in many within the empire is a huge roadblock in the development of mass movements built on class solidarity. It is not as difficult, one might clearly analyze, for the deeply exploited and marginalized groups within the U.S. empire black, brown, and indigenous communities, women and non-men, immigrants, disabled folks, the LGBTQ plus community, etc., to wage a revolutionary struggle. But the need to build a movement connecting the various groups of oppressed people is not as easy, even for some extremely oppressed people. One might point out how oppression, poverty, disease, houselessness, and inequality of all kinds might make it a bit difficult to quote, (coughs) excuse me, I'm smoking, (coughs) to quote, (coughs) pull yourself up by your bootstraps (coughs) and be able to solve the issues you are facing, especially when we're discussing some of the systemic social political, and economic issues that are facing millions of people here on Turtle Island and across the world. With the pandemic continuing almost without any stoppage attempts at all by the U.S. ruling class, folks are continuously being faced with some of the underlying realities of the empire that, for many, they have been ignoring for some time. The massive income inequality between the leaders of this nation in the Senate, Congress, House of Representatives, and other ruling class sectors like the weapons manufacturers, 
the oil plants, USAID, the World Bank, the Heritage Foundation, as well as corporate media heads in comparison to the average U.S. worker is absolutely abhorrent. If we further divide the statistic and look at also the income disparities between white, black, brown, and indigenous folks, we see a major discrepancy that anyone cannot truly ignore. The further discrimination against women and non-men, immigrants, disabled people, and other marginalized communities makes it clear that you must know that this system is rotten to its core. It has to go. There can be no other solution, and many people are beginning to feel the same. But how committed to these ideas are they? We've seen a historical role played by exploited people here in the empire that has given life and inspiration to many. If we look at groups like the American Indian Movement, the Black Panthers, the Young Lords, the Brown Berets, and other groups like even the Communist Party USA and others like them, they all have been examples in their own light as to how revolution cannot be escaped anywhere, not even within the belly of the beast. But let us not forget also to study the complexities of these histories, the development and eventual fallout of many of the above-mentioned groups, as well as how the CIA, FBI, OSS, and other intelligence agencies invaded and destroyed parties with counterinsurgency tactics that are still used today. Examples are as plenty as one would imagine, but most important and most cited might be the program known as COINTELPRO, The rampant anti-communism that still exists to this day is because of these groups, as well as a direct contradiction with the way things are still ran today and have been for some time. We all know who's always to blame when something's going wrong. It's the radicals or the domestic terrorists. And here I'm not meaning the cops, as some might assume. They call us by many names, and even going so far as to conjure up mass groups like Antifa, who exist in a size far less revolutionary than I might hope, or Fox News might try to convince you of. But there are those of us out here fighting and demanding change. Where are they being hidden? As we see with the case of Leonard Peltier, as well as others like the famous Mumia Abu-Jamal, There are punishments that come to those who stand firmly on their principles and demand a new world built by the people, for the people, in a true egalitarian fashion, unheard of here in the Empire. The land defenders and water protectors who have fought Line 3, along with folks who've been in the streets since the death of Michael Brown, Trayvon Martin, George Floyd, and Breonna Taylor, have plenty of comrades sitting in jails awaiting trial for petty crimes like the use of bullhorns or resisting arrest after being kettled, beaten, and pepper sprayed by reactionary cops in New York City, Portland, D.C., Minneapolis, and elsewhere. When you demand justice, you scream loud enough for them to hear. And just like the gentrifiers in the cities, they come after anyone making too much noise. Let me go ahead and take a sip of this lovely tea here. How's everyone doing? Everyone having a good time? I hope so. I, um, I kind of, I don't know. I wish I was a better writer. But anyways, let me take another sip and we'll keep this shit going.
Also, excuse my voice, I might be sick, so that's a cool thing. But workers are not scared. As we've seen all across the nation, there has been countless struggles against the oppression and exploitation that is perpetuated by our current economic system, capitalism. We saw in Buffalo as Starbucks workers made history, and now in Bessemer and Staten Island where Amazon workers intend to do the same, groups like the Amazon Labor Union, United Auto Workers, and others are bringing workers together in ways they've not been able to do in decades. The labor history of the United States is a complicated one, filled with left-behind people of color, struggling women and non-men, Disabled folks and others all having to continue to solve their own issues, often without the union's help. But who's to say this will be the case today? The only chance we have at ensuring that this is not the case is by joining our own unions, fighting within our own communities for equality, egalitarianism, and true workers' power. If we fight for anything less, we will and always have left behind countless struggling people for many different reasons. The workers leading these struggles today are black and brown. They are women and non-men. They are immigrants, ex-incarcerated, tossed aside by society to struggle and suffer amongst themselves. But they've not given up. They've not died off. They've not fallen into despair. The exploited and oppressed workers and non-workers within the U.S. empire have found new strength and courage in the midst of desperate times. Even today, as indigenous people all over the world continue to be massacred at levels unknown to most, they are still fighting. They are still resisting. We, however, are not helping. With all of this said, I'd like to pose a couple of questions and try to answer them briefly to the best of my ability. I'd like others to think critically about these things today and find ways to get involved and organized in your own communities. I ask the following. 1. How can we expect the changes needed to be implemented and fought for today? 2. Who are the friends of change, and how do they expect to make change themselves? 3. How can we show the masses that change can only come through their own participation, and how can we ensure that this participation will correct, be correctly handled and implemented? How, how, can, how can we ensure that this participation will correctly handle and implement changes in our society today? Four, do we have enough time to talk about long-term goals of organizing and mass movements? Five. If we cannot do something ourselves in the empire, how can we support those who can slash will fight for true people's liberation and power in the 21st century? So I'm going to read off what I said, but I might add a little bit just in case like anything popped into mind because I was writing and I was getting so fucking sick and tired of typing. So I just kind of wrote these briefly. Um... But, yeah, uh, here, hold on one second. Uh, Okay, so, number one. How can we expect the changes needed to be implemented and fought for today? Firstly, we must know what changes are needed. For simplicity's sake, I will say that we require power in the hands of the exploited and oppressed masses. True proletarian democracy an abolition of capitalism, imperialism, revolution, and a new political economic foundation of scientific socialism. 
then I said put in here for more on that. Or if you disagree, please reach out to me, indefensiveliberation at gmail.com. No caps, no spaces. <coughs> Jeez. How can we expect these changes to be implemented and fought for today? Through organization, mass movements, and mass political education. We must be joining, building, and growing revolutionary organizations in our own workplaces, homes, neighborhoods, communities, hospitals, schools, prisons, and elsewhere. Our only hope will be that through mass continued struggle, we will be able to awaken and embolden the millions of working class people within the empire to take down this beast once and for all. We can only expect this to come if we fight for it today. Through constant struggle, concrete analysis of concrete conditions, mass organization, and political education through praxis, theory, and action, which can only be accomplished by the most revolutionary and ready members of the working class. <clears throat> so, really, any the only thing I want to add to this is the fact that, like, my overall point is the fact that, okay, say... Say you want to cook a meal, right? You have a partner or a loved one, and it's, you know, a special occasion. You want to cook a meal. You go online. You look up the recipe. You write it all down. You read the instructions, and you figure out how you have to make the food. Well, it's not until you go get all of the food and have it in front of you and have the ability to implement it, and put in as much as is needed, mix it all together, and put it into the oven, that you can actually make that meal. You can know full well, far better than anyone in, you know, many cases, you can know how to do a revolution really, really fucking well. But if you're not actually doing anything to build towards the opportunity to actually implement those ideas, it doesn't matter how fucking correct you are. You have to be in the streets. You have to be a part of an organization. You have to be actually capable of implementing and, you know, really impacting the reality around you if you truly want to be able to put your ideas anywhere other than on a blog, a podcast, or in your fucking brain. So, yeah, and uh, ultimately, the only people are going to be able to do that are going to be, A, people who have the ability to get organized. Like, that's one of the hardest things. That's what we're talking about here. Two, people who really know what the fuck they need to do. Because it's okay to know, like, what's wrong. But if you all get together and you're all just sitting there going, don't you all really fucking hate capitalism? Yeah, me too. Gosh, I read this book that really further proved my point that like i hate capitalism and for another reason even wow that's really impressive i read that book a few years ago you know i really think that we should uh you know hang out sometime and talk about all the books we've read yeah man you seem really cool cool what catastrophic change has been made in this exchange here i think that ultimately if we want to see our ideas actually take you know hold We have to do more than just be in our echo chambers, right? So I'll just say that. Jeez. Double checking all my notifications. Cool.
Alrighty. <clears throat> Again, excuse my voice. I really do think I might be sick. Ah! And... <clears throat> Who? That was a good one. Anyways... Who are the friends of change, and how do they expect to make change themselves? So I wrote, again, for simplicity's sake, I will keep this answer short. But I wrote, there are four groups who consider themselves friends of the people. Gosh, I'm really losing my voice now. Hoo-wee. Anyways, uh, and they each have plenty of contradictory factions and divisive parties working towards different ends. The first group, <clears throat> the first group is the capitalist imperialists who ponder the, to the consumerist and deep-seated American interests in the benefits of capitalism imperialism. These are the weapons manufacturers, private military contracting companies, international resource extraction groups, banking firms, industrialists, and the capitalists themselves. I wrote, this includes both a majority of the Democrat and Republican parties. I would stress here that the parties themselves have 100% allegiance to the capitalism imperialist system both the Democrats and the Republicans. I would consider the Democrats and the Republicans two factions within what we might consider the capitalist party. Now, I do think that there are individuals who, for whatever reason, usually for their own opportunistic gains, have some ideas and uh, rhetoric that is akin to uh, social democracy. Now, I don't give them any credit. I think that if you're in that place of power and you have those ideas, you need to be doing a million times more than just saying, oh, tax the rich, right? But at the same time, who's going to fucking make them? Because the only people they're really beholden to right now are their donors. And if y'all aren't donating millions of dollars, they don't give a shit. So there's two ways to take hold of political... Uh, uh, representatives money and physical force and so since we have neither right now a lot of these supposed socialists basically get to do the dance and uh, claim themselves as such and people are going to go on twitter and defend them because they have nothing better to do and they're not organized so that's that more on that in other episodes you can listen to that but i just don't feel like focusing on it right now i wrote here the second group is the pro-imperialist anti-capitalists the green party the left democrats and the non-profit organizations and those who represent a want for change but only for those already willing to side with the ruling class for a slice of the pie This includes many, such as the groups wanting to break away from fossil fuels, not so as to stop the destruction of the planet and to end the unequal accumulation of wealth in the hands of a few, but so as to continue all of this under the guise of, quote, green energy. These groups are some of the vilest. It also includes some organizations and NGOs intent on, quote, spreading democracy across the world or, quote, fighting poverty by sending National Guards, economists, intelligence assets, and militarists, ruling class representatives, among others, to do the dirty work of the empire. 
They use the common sentiment of a want for peace, planetary survivability, and the environmentalism generally as a front to continue their squander of resources and massive siphoning off of wealth into some of the same pockets as those in the capitalist imperialist class who still use fossil fuels. They often work in tandem. The third group, actually, I want to add here. So a very, very clear example is something that was spoken about on By Any Means Necessary not too long ago about someone, uh, I can't remember who it was, but they were mentioning how outside of Chicago, there's, you know, all this rural farmland, which has been historically owned by, uh, I, I can't factually say that they were specifically runaway slaves but i believe they were the children of former slaves like sharecroppers and others who have historically tended to this land and i believe also prior to that actually enslaved black folk black folks were uh cultivating that land under uh chattel slavery so um, right now, a lot of that land is being bought up by this environmental company, and I can't remember the name of that either, but uh, I'm sure if you Google any of this information, you'll be able to figure it out. Um, <clears throat> and uh, basically, uh, they're doing it under this guise that, you know, they're, uh, they're caretaking the land and they're doing it for the sake of... Um, for the sake of, like, keeping the endangered species that are um, populating that area. Sorry, I was trying to Google the episode, but there's a bunch of endangered or almost endangered species that are in that area that uh, have been, you know, surviving right outside of Chicago for, like, hundreds of years because of the way that this land has been tended to. And they're expecting that, um, you know, by buying this land and putting it under this protection, which basically they give up the rights to the land after buying it so nobody can cultivate it, nobody can do anything on it, um, and then they just collect tax dollars on that. Um, And it's going to be stealing all this land from, you know, black, brown, and even indigenous farmers in the area who uh, have been tending to this land for generations. So I just wanted to point that out uh, as an example that's happening right now here in the United States. So just think about that. Uh, This third group, I'm, I'm not too keen on all the people I put into it, but I'll let you really figure it out for yourselves. Um, so I put the third group is one what cannot necessarily be called anything but radicals, such as libertarians, anarchists, and others who use the common want for change as a prerequisite to try to sell you on a fanciful idea of a world where oppression doesn't exist. This group is not always easy to narrow down, as they often use some of the same language and basic ideas of others more revolutionary than themselves to try to convince people that they are equally as prepared and adequately aware of what needs to be done as the socialists and communists tend to be historically. This group is dangerous for a few reasons. 
One being that it gives people a mostly full idea of what's wrong, but not a concrete reason as to why, nor a correct process as to how to build something to defeat this oppression. These groups are also dangerous because they're some of the most pro-terrorism groups other than the white supremacists and reactionary forces of the states. Of the state, excuse me. These groups, although seemingly, quote, different in the sense that their violence and terrorism is for, quote, good, both historically achieved the same conclusions of mass repression, counterterrorism, policing, incarceration, assassination, and suffering, as well as also continue the further oppression of black, brown, and indigenous people. Terrorism, albeit often a strategy implemented by revolutionary groups in some instances, is not a revolutionary strategy in and of itself. It isolates the masses and the revolutionaries from the masses. It is used as a tool then by the state to further crack down on all, quote, progressive groups and leads to a system of fascism, which some see as a, quote, red carpet towards revolution, but some see this as bringing the privileged people and ignorant masses uh, down to planet Earth. Or excuse me, some some see this as bringing the privileged people and ignorant masses down to planet Earth, but most people are already here suffering, and they've not seemed to take this same path forward as the pro-terrorism as a strategy types seem to believe they might. The final groups is... The final group is the group of communist socialist organizers and community leaders intent on a revolutionary strategy towards mass movements and mass organization. This group is commonly compiled of all sorts of people, but all of whom know that the only way forward is a revolution. They, along with the masses of exploited and oppressed people, will be the ones to set the terms, dictate the tactics, decide the fate of the battles, and ultimately they alone will guide the struggle towards socialism and revolution, or socialism and liberation. This is the camp I firmly place my feet within. All of these groups have different approaches to change, as I've slightly mentioned alongside each, but more is to be said if we listen to the speeches, watch the demonstrations, read the pamphlets, programs, policies, and projects that each group puts out, as we can then get a more conscious understanding of what each intends to do. That I cannot provide in this writing. And I can't really provide that here, because ultimately... That kind of deep study is something I can't do alone. You know, I keep up with just about every podcast and news source that I can, uh, but it's difficult, you know, when I have to focus on paying bills and shit like that as well. And I think a lot of people feel also uh, along with me that sometimes, you know, I don't really want to, like, focus on this. I want to, like, hang out with my partner or like talk to my grandma about like how my papa is you know what I mean but like it is what it is life is hard and we all got to deal with it so question number three how can we show the masses that change can only come through their own participation and how can we ensure that this is this participation will correctly handle and implement changes in our society today so I answered it by saying by organizing The only way forward is by bringing the ideas and strategies of revolutions past to every single person we meet and intend to organize with. 
The only assurance is mass participation, because only through true popular power and worker control can the system itself be changed in a truly revolutionary fashion. It is us, the masses of oppressed people, who best understand that oppression and its complications, contradictions, and complexities, as well as how to change them. Only we, together organized and aligned towards the same goal of liberation and socialism, can achieve what the masses truly require, a revolution. So I would add to this a few things. One, um, the only way to like actually get people to understand that this is going to change through their own participation is by just continuously engaging with them. You know, like, I think one of the hardest things we do is have the same conversations with folks. But that's a part of it, right? Because a lot of people are deeply entrenched in ignorance and propaganda and uh, of no fault of their own. And we have to find ways to have patience, uh, especially with those folks who are really, truly oppressed. Because some of the most exploited people in this country are some of the most patriotic some of the most pro-USA, some of the most pro-capitalism and its, you know, bullshit propaganda that you can ever hear. I think of, you know, um, people who engage with this Protestant idea of hard work as a character trait, you know, suffering as teaching uh, lessons. And I think also here of, you know, exploited and oppressed people such as for example, immigrants who come to this country and believe that uh, the best thing for them is to just let uh, themselves be overexploited and overworked so as to uh, be what some really coined the uh, um, ideal immigrant. Um, I, uh, I, I really see this sometimes in some of my friends' parents as well as some of my friends themselves. Uh, right now, because I don't think he listens to this podcast, I'm going to talk about this. Not going to say their name, but I know this person who is currently in the U.S. military. I actually know two people that are current, a few people that are in the U.S. military that I'm really trying to get out. But one of whom <clears throat> is uh, Filipino. Now, oddly enough... And, again, I'm going to be careful with this. This person's family is acquainted with the current president of the Philippines, uh, Duterte. This person recently posted on their social media uh, and has actually spoken to me about it before, a picture that they have with Duterte. So because I don't necessarily want to confront this person outright because I don't have the deepest relationship with them, um, friend of a friend, right? Uh, I took the opportunity to post um, uh, Comrade Joma, so that's uh, Jose Maria Saison, um, and uh, a few pictures of the guerrillas in uh <laughs> in the philippines as well as the communist party's uh flag <laughs> so i don't know i i i figured i'd put that in there subtly and see you know maybe they'll message me about it because then i could 
have a conversation. That's my strategy with them, that person right now. I have other strategies with others, but this person is not my responsibility, nor do I really think that I'm going to change their mind, um, at least just through conversation. Again, one of the most important teachers is experience. Uh, And that's kind of why I say here that uh, the only insurance is mass participation, because only through true popular power and worker control can the system itself be changed in a truly revolutionary fashion. Just about every Marxist says that the most revolutionary class is the proletariat. Now, there's so much to talk about just in that sentence right there. But basically what that means is the workers and non-workers who are exploited and oppressed in the majority have a deep revolutionary nature by their very interest to liberate themselves from that place of oppression. That's very clearly understood by reading things like Wretched of the Earth by Franz Fanon, Settlers by Jay Sakai, or uh, another in that same light might be uh, Our Future, or Our, what is, Our History is the Future by Nick Estes, um, and uh, also A Red Deal, uh, Indigenous Nation, or Indigenous Action to Save the Earth uh, by Red Media, um, These are examples that show that, like, the groups of truly advanced and conscious people who know what needs to be done are doing it now and are willing to put in the work need to be given every single opportunity and support and solidarity and, you know, everything that we can give them and more as well as our own participation in building the revolution, because you need the folks that are doing the, you know, I think it's most best caught in this quote from Blood in My Eye by George Jackson, where he says, um, if, uh, if Jonathan, speaking about his brother, who wrote him a letter about uh, guerrilla tactics, um, he says, if Jonathan has his anti-Nixon launcher, speaking about a rocket launcher, pointed down at the limo, and he takes them out, he needs nine others, now I'm paraphrasing here, he needs nine others with assault rifles to cover his exit. But he also needs a political organization nearby that is capable of explaining to the masses of people who will there be affected by the further repression of the state as to why this action was taken, why these things are happening, and how they themselves can get involved to change the situation they're facing. Um, yeah, and I think I sum it up quite well in the following. Only we, together, organized and aligned towards the same goal of liberation and socialism, can achieve what the masses truly require a revolution. Now, I don't know why I said it like that, but I want to point out real quick, I'm not thinking that I know all of this shit. I've read some really great books, and I've talked to some really incredible and revolutionary people. But these are questions, and these are my brief answers that I think are somewhat of a summation of what needs to be done. 
further analysis of this and any incorrectness of this is to be expected. But um, I, I hope that any of this is at least moderately informative because uh, that's kind of what I'm going for. But number four, do we have enough time to talk about long-term goals of organizing and mass movements? I say we must. We cannot act spitefully or with ignorance. We can't be impulsive or idiotic. Not to say all those who act in a true revolutionary fashion without long-term goals or organizations are idiotic, but that those who feel only the folks and only this strategy of attack now, think later, will succeed can often be mistaken by their own righteous and correct absolute hatred for the state and the system it perpetuates. Folks like George and Jonathan Jackson come to mind as examples of two folks among millions of others over time who have put this form of aggression aside for revolutionary guerrilla tactics, which can be said to be far more effective than plain terrorism, but can also still be used against us without a mass apparatus of political education and organization. Many say the earth is dying. We have no time to think like this. But how can we find ways to get water across the world, food to the hungry, medicine to the sick, and support to those in need if we don't plan, strategize, and think long term? In fact, even this guerrilla focaismo strategy uh, requires long term planning and strategy. This is why Jonathan and George wrote for years. This is why others like the Black Liberation Army and others studied, organized, and trained. It takes time to build a revolution, a successful one, that is, but time that we'd instead be suffering with no idea about what to do. Are we truly, quote, losing time? So because I'm losing time on my recording here, I will say just this. Essentially, we have to also tie in to the more revolutionary and upfront uh, tactics with a uh, militant organization and mass movement strategy. Because can it be said that we need motherfuckers that are going to go to Line 5 dressed up as an oil uh, worker and shut off the pipeline? Definitely. Shout out to the indigenous folks who do that. Uh, Can we say that we need folks like the incredible... Uh, women and uh, two-spirit folks in the wet sweatin' territory up there in uh, British Columbia fighting off with the RCMP, uh, hell yes, we need those folks. But to think that, you know, uh, an indigenous person like that just springs up, you know, out of nowhere, the unfortunate truth is the fact that indigenous people have had to be resisting ever since the day that the Europeans crossed out of their own, you know, lands. Uh, That's true about a majority of the world. But this long-term struggle has built a incredible type of organizing and resistance that indigenous people show us time and time again, uh, and we really ought to follow. Um, I, I, I would have more to say, but again, I'm really running out of time here. So the last thing I want to point out, this is question number five. If we cannot do something ourselves in the empire, how can we support those who can slash will fight for true people's liberation and power in the 21st century? This has to be one of the most crucial questions and the one I will spend the most time on. With everything I've said to this point, it is clear that revolution is needed. 
that many people have made many attempts at revolution within the empire, and that many people are in desperate need of successful movement today and cannot wait one second longer. But can we expect that we will build a revolution here in the United States on Turtle Island? My answer is twofold, yes and no, and also, why not try anyways? I think the question is honest, and I have very little expertise on building revolution myself enough to put out anything other than my own moderately ignorant understandings, so others might think otherwise. But I feel that a revolution needs to be able to support and defend other revolutions, compromising its own integrity itself. Um... Uh, this seems almost impossible, but it cannot be. In Russia, the USSR was a makeup of more than a dozen nations who each waged their own revolutionary struggle with the support of the Communist Party. But this party did not dictate the struggle, and this is something we need to understand and recognize here in the US. We need to see, understand, and be willing and able of affecting the contradictions that exist among the masses, between the masses, and between the ruling class themselves as well. This takes long study and praxis. We need organizations committed to this work taking the leading role towards developing such a thing now. The masses in Africa, Asia, and Latin America are already on it, and organizations within the empire are doing the same. Our best chance of developing a true class struggle with all the masses of oppressed and exploited people behind it is only going to be through a dedicated and committed test and struggle by those very people themselves towards a new reality. But those of us committed now must organize ourselves to help guide and instruct the activists, organizers, propagandists, union leaders, community leaders, self-defense leaders, and others in this revolutionary, not simply radical, struggle today. We need to be constantly struggling, fighting, learning, growing, developing, reaching out, and connecting with one another in every way possible. We need mass movements, mass organizations, and forms of power that the people themselves must cultivate and condition to their own circumstances. If they don't find any other way, they must take up the positions that exist now and use them to develop new forms of control for the coming revolution. We must fight, struggle, and win, but we must organize, organize, organize first to the revolution, my friends. So I want to add this. I have five minutes and 50 seconds, so I'm going to try to speed round this right now. So, uh... Can we have a revolution here on Turtle Island? I think yes. Can that revolution look like any other? Not really, but that's true of just about any other circumstance. I think we have to take stock of what exists and find ways to use it in a revolutionary manner. There are groups already intending to do this in communities that are extremely marginalized and facing oppression in levels that white folks, cis men, and etc. don't necessarily have to have each and every day. So, usually, the most important thing that we can do is make sure that whatever organizations that we're a part of don't necessarily do the identity politics as in they use identity as a front to continue their own goals, but in fact that the best test of any organization is whether or not it's actually implementing change and enacting objectives that do help the most oppressed and exploited people within our communities, not just in word, but in deed, again. Anyways, the next thing that I want to stress is that I think the question of whether or not we can do it is a very honest one, because it's difficult looking at the settler, colonial, and imperialist nature of the U.S. empire and thinking that you can have a socialist republic here, or a socialist society of any kind, especially with the immense contradictions among the different groups of people who find themselves living here. Now, 
I want to stress a few things. If we're going to build a revolution that's going to be able to support others, we got to build our revolution first. That's very clear. That's why I point out that the USSR was a makeup of more than a dozen nations who each waged their own revolutionary struggle with the support of the Communist Party. Because you had a revolution in a central location first. And from that point forward, they were able to be able to impact society in a way that they wouldn't have been able to until they took power. And taking power, of course, through a revolution is our ultimate goal. So we have to be guiding ourselves in a way that allows us to do this. But if we're doing that in a way that's going to lead us towards a society where it's just a different kind of oppression of the different communities and uh, uh, nations, uh, ethnic and racial groups that exist here within Turtle Island, then that is not by any means a socialist revolutionary struggle. So I think that's one of the most important things that we can stress. And we really, 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 really got to be dedicating so much time and energy to meeting with people who are from different communities who are struggling in their own right for their own liberation, for their own self-determination, and find ways that we can struggle together in a way that is built on egalitarian politics, not one di dictating for another how their struggle must be guided, but giving support to one another in a revolutionary proletarian fashion, which allows revolution to truly take hold here on Turtle Island. The last thing I want to say is this. Let me take a sip here, which I don't know if I can afford to, but so many people in the U.S. want to say that the countries of the global south that are waging revolutions, independent struggles, national liberation, and uh, self-determination struggles of all kind, whether it's electoral or actually, you know, armed struggle like in the Philippines and uh, other places. We have to understand that this is up to the people themselves in those cases to take hold of their destiny in their communities for a revolution of their own. We must find ways here in the imperialist core to sweep the legs of the empire that has the boot on their necks so that they can truly have all of the air to breathe that they need to build their revolution. This is the most important role that we can play here within the imperial court. And the only way we can do that is through revolution. We're not going to reform our way into stopping our exploitation of the global south. Our entire existence as a nation of the you know United States empire is imperialism. And that means that the Western chauvinistic idea of a USSA or this idea of patriotic socialism or social chauvinism is just like it was in World War I when Lenin called out Kautsky and countless others for being false socialist Philistines, which is you just want socialism so that you can benefit yourself. You're a class collaborator and you're a goddamn failure of a revolutionary. Folks, if you've been listening to this, I want to say thank you so much. Please let me know what you think. Reach out to me at indefensiveliberation at gmail.com or on my social media on TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. The last thing I want to say is this. Go listen to, by any means necessary, The Red Nation, East is a Podcast, Bands of Turtle Island, Probably Cancelled Podcast. Go check out Unmasking Imperialism, Afro-Marxist, Hakeem, uh, uh, the Marxist Project, Luna Oi, and countless others on YouTube. And also, please feel free to hit uh, myself up uh, at any time. Also, last thing, go join an organization, build an organization, build a group of any kind, get yourself 
in that setting where you can build a revolution today. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Have a good one. We'll probably see you in the new year. So peace to 2021. It all sucked. The only reason it's going to get better if we organize and have our revolution. So 2022 is looking up, but we're the only ones that can do anything about it. Peace.